Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusuf. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Today is a great day. I booked my first business travel since January 2020. And I'm not fully certain how I should be thinking about this. So perhaps a little bit of background. Finland is doing fairly well in terms of COVID-19. Not amazing, but fairly well. And uh, just yesterday, our, our government sort of announced that we're starting to get rid of the different restrictions and and. The, the use of masks in public places and, and whatnot. So I've been thinking of visiting a city in central Finland, and we actually have a valid reason to do business there. So today I booked train tickets to get there. It's about 300 kilometers from Helsinki, so I could drive as well. But I feel that if I take the train, I, I actually get some proper downtime and I don't have to focus on, 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 on driving. And if you had asked me, two years ago when we roughly got started with this show that are you excited to visit a city in Finland I would have said no do I have to go but now it's still two months away that I'm actually doing this travel now I'm, I'm sort of excited that I, I actually get to travel somebody else will make the coffee for me I get real dinner I don't have to prep it myself so it's it's funny how how your perspective changes and perhaps when I come back, I will I will claim that yeah, I don't need to travel anymore. But for now, it's it's a nice thing that I'm waiting, waiting and, and looking forward to. Very nice. Uh, I know we talked about that some time ago about the the things you get used to working from home and the things you miss. And clearly, these are all things that, the things you listed. All of these things are things you miss today, but a couple of years back when someone said you're going to have to spend 300 kilometers on a train, you'd be like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. now it's, you know, getting out of the house, getting out of your wherever you live, um, do something else. And exactly what you say, get a coffee, get some dinner and meet people. Simple stuff, you might think, but after being kind of isolated for this extended period of time, it's a very welcome change. So I'm, I'm happy for you. I don't have any business travels planned, so I'm still going to be here, only meeting people virtually. But uh, my time will come, I'm sure. So speaking of coffee, on my side, I uh, mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I believe that I stopped drinking coffee, and I found a new drink, which is matcha. So I'm making matcha latte. And a matcha latte is like a tea-based beverage combining like vivid green matcha tea powder and milk. Or in my case, I'm using a substitute. So I'm using oat milk most of the time, which I find a bit more creamy as well. Um, and then you create this, uh, you know, smooth, creamy, caffeinated coffee alternative. Uh, and now they also start offering this in several places downtown here where I live, which is a welcome alternative as well. But the main reason I stopped drinking coffee from the beginning was to avoid the caffeine. But matcha does contain some caffeine as well. So I'm not getting away from that. But if you do like tea and green teas specifically, and perhaps the taste of seaweed, which it <laughs> could remind a little bit about, uh, then try out some matcha. It's uh, very peculiar. 
uh, and you it might be an acquired taste to some, but I, I really like it. So a morning matcha every day for me. So I, I need to ask, I've never tried this. I've, I've seen matcha latte at, at a nearby coffee shop, but I never stopped to think what it actually is. I actively dislike green tea, the whole taste of green tea. So is it even possible for me to try this or is the green tea sort of taste and texture pushing through? No, I would say no, it's not, but it's, it's uh, worse. So if you don't like green tea, I mean, I love green tea. So if you don't like green tea, then I would say perhaps you might want to stay clear of, of matcha because that is green tea. And I, I recall just for some trivia here, I recall when I read about matcha that the tea leaves, the, the bushes, they grow in the shade. So that's one of the reasons they can produce this super fine powder or whatever, but it's still green tea. So if you don't like green tea, you're out of luck. And like I said, it's an acquired taste. It took a couple of drinks to uh, to find the right balance, just like with coffee, the right amount of powder, the right amount of milk and everything. You need to find the balance and the, and the right amount of water. When, when you do that, I really like it. So I have one every morning. Um, but tread with caution. If you don't like green tea, then it may or may not be something you, you like. Uh, All righty. Good to know. Yeah. So the, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I'm also walking about 15 to 20,000 steps per day uh, as a result of not being able to ride the bike recently because kindergarten. So we have a four-year-old and uh, recently came back to kindergarten after, after a very long summer holiday. Uh, two days back from kindergarten, got the flu. Um, and then obviously she recovers in about 20 hours and then she's up and running. And then I get the flu. My partner gets the flu and the little one gets the flu. So now we're a house where three people have the flu. And then the flu passes, takes a few days. Everyone is okay. She comes back from kindergarten again with a new flu. And she recovers in about 20 hours. And then the rest of us goes down for five days. <laughs> so this has been my life now for about a month and a half. Uh, so this is my third flu in, in this time. And, and I asked other parents at the kindergarten, look, am I really getting sick a lot or is this widespread? And they said, no, the, the germs this year, very aggressive. So literally all the parents have been, have had the flu now for about a month and a half, uh, but all the kids are okay. So that's the important bit. But because of that, no, no riding the virtual bike, because I know we talked in an episode that we're going to ride the virtual bike. Um, so let's try to do that when the flu season passes, whenever that is. Sounds good. I've been saved from the flu for the past two years, but I'm already sort of anticipating that it's it's incoming. I sort of see the writing on the wall that's come the next two months before my business trip. You will for sure get the flu and feel really, really bad for a couple of days. But I'm mentally prepared for that. So Today, this is episode 98, and it's about getting certified as a security operations analyst. So this is the Microsoft SC200 certification. If, if I bumped into you at the local supermarket, Tobias, and I would ask, what's a security operations analyst? What, what would you come up with? I would probably reply that someone sitting at their laptop with a hoodie and sunglasses hacking on the keyboard. 
No, so so what I would say for someone working in this role, and this can take various shapes depending on the company and organization size and the direction of the company, of course. But when you're working with IT internally and and specifically on the security side, uh, anything that helps you analyze uh, traffic, networking, uh, you know, the infrastructure you have, the applications you have, the health, and and specifically the security aspects, like do you have firewalls enabled? Do you have antivirus? Do you have all the things uh, in place? Like Azure Sentinel, we talked about that in one episode. If you have all of these things, you have like an entry point where you can analyze the traffic, analyze usage, anomalies, so you can find kind of patterns of things that may or not, may not be uh, malicious traffic. So I would say for me, security operations analyst is someone who is safeguarding your internal resources and your company resources on the technical side. So a lot about IT security on the inside, if you will. Yeah, I can I can buy into that one. Uh, we did talk about Azure security in terms of certification, and that was in episode 87. And at the time, that was the AZ500 certification. And I recall when I did that certification, that was quite some time ago, that that was more about security uh, in general, in terms of Azure, like, should you enable automatic patching for a virtual machine and whatnot. And now with SC200, Microsoft sort of has a bunch of more security-focused certifications. So we have the SC900, which is the fundamentals in security. And I like to stress it's fundamentals because it's a fun exam. Then there's the SC200, which we'll talk now, and SC300, which is about Azure AD and identity, and SC400 about everything else, plus the MS500 for Microsoft 365 security. So I am counting, looking at my notes here, I am counting a total of six certifications that align and rely really heavily on security. Any, any thoughts that do we need six certifications? Should we have 60 or would, would one perhaps be enough? One would never be enough. Uh, security is an ongoing adventure. You don't take a certification in security, whatever area, and then you know, you're know you done. Security is ever evolving. And all the components that we make use of in our security journeys also change rapidly. And, and there's no such thing as securing everything, especially through one certification or one training. You cannot do that. Just like you mentioned, these six different certifications like MS500 or the AZ500, which is the, the Azure equivalent of, of security that is perhaps a bit more general, but also some pretty tough questions. So you uh, can prove that you understand how security components work in Azure and, and what services you can make use of. But then these more granular SC200, 300, 400, and the 900 fundamentals these are also super important because they go more in depth on specific topics and specific areas. So there is no such thing as take one exam to rule them all. And there is, uh, you, you can, there is no shortcut to learning security and to implementing security because that is continuous. And whoever says, now I'm done securing my resources is not doing it right. You're never done. 
Um, so I think Microsoft puts it well with their zero trust model and you should always assume breach. You should always at all times assume that your network is already breached. There's already someone inside. Now the job is to secure it, right? Thinking that someone is already inside. And that kind of changed the title a little bit because if you think that nobody's coming in here, nobody is on the inside, then you just maybe enable a couple of firewalls. But what if you already have a malicious actor on the inside? And then you have to rethink the security a little bit on how you actually approach and implement these protective layers. And then maybe we're getting into much detail here, but think about the security onion. Like everything is in layers. You don't just enable the outer layer with a firewall and then you're done. Everything has to be secured. Identities and uh, using managed identities, not using access keys, role-based access control, firewalls, IP restrictions. You know, there's so many things and these are just high-level stuff. And there are so many things you have to do so the more of these security exams, to answer your question, the more of these security exams that Microsoft publishes, the better, because there are so many things you need to know. And even if you take all of these certificates or certifications, you're, yeah, you, you might have a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't mean that we're living by it. It doesn't mean we're implementing it the right way. So the more, the better. Uh, when it comes to security, it's also continuous. So whenever there's an update coming out, make sure you read about it and do that update. And if there's an updated exam, don't be afraid to do that or review it or review the materials for it uh, because it is important, especially if your job is about security. That's very well put. I recall the first book I read on, on IT security. It was called Unix Security. And it was sort of the the book on security in 1994, perhaps. And that reminded me of, of the AZ-500 and the MS-500 exams. They're, they're sort of general security-focused certifications that go through the big, vast landscape. And now with the SC-900, 200, 300, and 400, they focus more on individual bits. So let's, let's dive deeper into the SC-200 now. So the exam is available. You can, of course, do that online from the comfort of your own home, unless you are like me, that you cannot do it from the home office because there's too many displays and they start loudly complaining to you that you need to remove the displays. And then the last time I did an exam, I went to my master bedroom because we had the cleaning services here at the house at the same time. So I go to my, my, my bedroom, I sit on the bed, it's it's super comfy and they start loudly complaining that mm, yeah it's a bit 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 too dark in there and there might be somebody under the bed whispering the information in your ear <laughs> so so i went to the balcony and it happened to be a day that was really really cold but i did did complete the exam there so now the sc200 is available i did check that on september 24th so so a bit after you're listening to this recording, uh, there's going to be a small update to the exam. So everything we are talking about today will be relevant. But the small update is, and this is super tiny, but I feel it's worth mentioning. Everything else you need to know by heart, but on top of this, the requirements imply there might be a question or two on how to deploy data connectors to Azure Sentinel 
using Azure policy instead of manually deploying those. And, and, and I like because there, there's this announcement that, oh, there's an update coming. You scroll through this five-page document and on the last page, they have this one line, we're adding this. So I, I feel that if you are security oriented, you've already been working with Azure policy. You're thinking in terms of, of cloud identities and MFA and whatnot. So this is a tiny thing, but it's still nice that they keep on adding new requirements on the fly instead of waiting a year or two and then say, yeah, actually you needed to know Azure policy as well, but we didn't have a chance to add it before this. So now on the exam itself, I was thinking that I've been delivering the, the training course for SC200 a couple of times now. And, and depending on how you're delivering it, uh, you can do it in, in three or four days. I normally spend three days on this. That's partially because my audience is often Nordic. And, and with, with us Nordic people, I, I think Tobias, you know this as well. If you ask people, do you have any questions? Somebody will say, no, <laughs> and then we'll continue. It's, it's not like there's a lively debate going on constantly. So it's, it's fairly fast paced. But my, my sort of learning and insights from SC200 for anybody preparing to do the exam and also learning the bits is that there's three main categories of content. There's Microsoft Defender for 365, Azure Defender, and Azure Sentinel. Those are sort of the big, big themes here. So perhaps we start with Microsoft Defender for 365. How's, how's your experience, Tobias, with, with this? Are you utilizing it and, and are you sort of in the know of all the individual small detailed capabilities that exist in there? Coming back to the previous point I made about security being such a wide topic, the simple answer here is no. I will <laughs> never know all the intricate details of any of these things. Uh, perhaps because I don't just work with security. I, you know, some of the things I work with touches security quite a lot, uh, but that's not the only thing I do. So I cannot spend all my time learning about all these things. And uh, we do use things like Cloud App Security and Defender for Office 365 and identity and Azure ID identity protection, stuff like this. Um, but I, I would not be able to, if someone asked me, so what's included in Microsoft Defender for 365, I would say security stuff for 365, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to list all the components. We make specific use of specific things uh, to help us strengthen our security. But yeah, I, I don't know all the components, so. I, I think the slogan could be Microsoft Defender for 365 security things. So, so perhaps the highlight here is that the Defender for 365, the, the key core cornerstone service is Defender for Endpoint. And I believe this used to be called Windows 10 Advanced Threat Protection. So the idea really is that, that you have a centralized service that allows you to secure and defend your endpoints, your, your laptops, workstations, mobile devices, and whatnot. So it sort of ties in to Intune, even if that's not strictly a requirement. Uh, then you mentioned Azure AD Identity Protection. I, I feel it's a, it's a fairly trivial service. But then again, it does require the additional Azure AD premium licensing. So not all companies deploy that. Uh, the third one, Microsoft Defender for Office 365, which is in essence, it's protecting 
uh, email. So on top of Exchange Online, or perhaps you have a hybrid setup, uh, catching malware and spam and, and whatnot. But then the fourth one is interesting, Microsoft Defender for identity. And I actually had to use Google to, to sort of revisit the history here. It used to be called Azure Advanced Threat Protection. And before that, it used to be called Microsoft Advanced Threat Analytics, ATA. And I still have vivid memories of deploying ATA in an on-premises environment in, in 2014 or something. And the idea with this one, because I feel for many in the audience, this might not be a familiar service. Uh, Microsoft Defender for Identity works in that you deploy sensors close to your Active Directory domain controllers, which often are still an on-premises setup. And then based on what those sensors are detecting from the network traffic, and also possibly mirroring the network traffic on the router or the switch level, you get this machine learning sort of approach to figuring out if somebody is doing rogue stuff in your on-premises network. And this is possibly out of all of the services here, this is possibly the, the most complex to set up because you have to reach to people in charge of hosting the virtual machines for a company and say, I'd like to deploy this sensor. It's doing magic and machine learning and AI stuff. And, and you're not going to know what it's going to do, but I will be figuring out if you've set up everything securely enough. And the answer always on those calls and meetings is a strong no. That's not going to happen because reasons. But eventually, you usually get this deployed. So you mentioned cloud app security. I really, really like it. And I, I sort of think it, it sits in between Microsoft 365 and Azure because it sort of gets both worlds together in terms of what sort of applications are we using and what are the users doing with their productivity tools? I mean, there, there could quite frankly be a certification or exam only on cloud app security and a full training because there are so many great things you can do with it if you do it, if you use it the right way. So just to pitch that in, if you're not using cloud app security or, or CAS, depending on who you talk to, then take a look at it. It is really beneficial. So you can do conditional access for AD apps and stuff like this. It's, it's really beneficial. I, I really like it. And, and one of the capabilities in there is that you can dump the, the traffic logs from your proxy server or firewall or router or switch and have cloud app security analyze those and build this this sort of um, diagram of your network. What it, what's it seeing and, and how are your clients actually utilizing the network? Uh, then the last two that are part of Microsoft Defender for 365, uh, data loss prevention DLP capabilities and insider risk management. Have you ever used insider risk management? Taking a look at it, uh, it's not something we actively use it's, it's not something we're focusing on. Let's put it like that. Yeah. DLP we make use of, of course, to ensure no PII is escaping the, our realm and stuff like this, but not a lot inside our risk management. So how, how big is that? Like, because we're not talking about the exam or getting certified here. How big is that portion inside risk management out of this entire training, would you say? So the entire training, three to four days and an endless amount of PowerPoint slides and, and about 15 labs, hands-on labs, 
insider risk management is is fairly tiny in in this context i recall in in the actual sessions that i'm delivering insider risk management is is perhaps three slides so it's it's really on the level 100 you need to be aware that this sort of service exists you can find it from here but even figuring out the licensing for that uh is it part of a package or do, do you need to license it separately that's not part of the the, the course or the the certification exam uh, i feel it's a useful service and in in case somebody's not familiar with this one because i think it's it's a little bit exotic still the idea is that you can detect and monitor and react and investigate if there's a risk in terms of insider information. One of the examples is that one of your employees resigns. So HR gets the uh, gets the letter on that, that thank you, I'm, I'm leaving the company, what's my notice period? And meanwhile, when HR is figuring out whether the notice period is two weeks, like it's normally, normally in Finland, or if, if it's something else, uh, insider risk management is noticing that the user downloaded a massive amount of files from OneDrive for business. The user made a copy of the CRM customer database to a USB device and stuff like this. And then when, when, when the um, notice period has, has run out and it's the last day for the employee, it still detects that the employee is sending out emails to top five customers as an example so it sort of is slightly marketing in the sense because the assumption is that you have all of your data controlled in the cloud and and defended by microsoft defender but at the same time it aims to pick up this these quiet signals for possible insider risk so in that sense i feel it's interesting but at the same time, I also feel it's not something that I see too many companies focusing on right now. That's Microsoft Defender for 365. Uh, let's talk a bit about Azure Defender. And I always get confused. I realize we did an Azure update episode, perhaps 20 episodes ago. And then we sort of came to the realization that Microsoft uh, renamed a lot of the services to Azure Defender for something. So for now, how I'm seeing this, this worldview in Azure Defender, that we still have Azure Security Center. And once you enable Azure Defender and you move on to the paid tier, then you can individually enable these subservices in Azure Defender. So if you had to choose, what's sort of your favorite Azure Defender capability? Select all, enable. Mm -hmm. So you, you get the uh, threat protection, you know, across all the resources you have deployed. I don't often see a reason to opt out of using Defender uh, for anything in, in our workloads. I have seen a, a couple of use cases where the cost is just exponentially growing because you're enabling this for everything. And like if you're enabling this for all the research you have, including dev, QA, production, any other environments, you know, at scale, then you have to also realize that there's going to be a price tag on that. So to, to put that into perspective, we have enabled this for a lot of our things, and we run 
quite a lot of things that scale up and down dynamically in the cloud. About 20% of our total bill is coming from uh, ATP and uh, you know advanced threat protection stuff, which in the end, it's for me worth it because I'd rather stay on the safe side and get all these signals so I can take quick action when something goes wrong uh, or, or when anomalies are detected, you know, other than not enabling it and not knowing anything until it's too late. So now we at least get all the signals. So it might be a good thing to to be aware of that depending on where and how you enable it, it can build up the cost uh, a little bit. So as for you know favorites, I don't really play favorites in that sense. I want to protect everything we have, all the resources. So wherever I can enable it, I do enable it. And then of course, like all the threat protection features are, are pretty cool. And you have this for storage accounts, you can find anomalies. And so I guess I'm, a specific feature that I like about it is when we have now enabled it everywhere and it's been running for a couple of days, you can get an alert saying, okay, we found an anomaly now. Someone is accessing this storage account deployed in that region in that subscription, and they're accessing that from a, a, a IP range or IP address you may or may not have used before. And, and then it flags that as an anomaly. So you don't have to dive into all these things yourself because the system is pretty smart and, and can interpret all these signals. That's a key feature I like, where it, it comes and say, and that's one example of a signal, and it just tells you, hey, we found an anomaly, take a look. And then I can go in and I can see, oh, okay, I know what this is, that's fine. Uh, you know, We don't need to plug in any specific remediate action on that, uh, continue as usual. But then if something should happen, which is an actual anomaly that could be suspicious, then you get the signals, you can take action. So. Feature-wise, I like that, but for service-wise, I enable it wherever I can. Sounds, sounds great. So in case somebody's not intimately familiar with Azure Defender, let me quickly list the services. So there's Azure Defender for app service, for servers, for storage, for SQL, for Key Vault, for resource manager, for DNS, for Kubernetes, and for container registries. And on top of this, there's a couple of threat protection capabilities for Azure Network Layer, Cosmos DB, Web Application Firewall, and the DDoS protection. So it's about, it, it's about 10 services that you enable through Azure Security Center. And depending on how many items, how many assets you have per one of these uh, Defender capabilities, you pay according to each one of those. So if you have one virtual machine, you enable Azure Defender for servers, you end up paying that, I, I recall it's about $15 a month per server. But if you have 200 VMs, obviously it's 200 times $15. So you, you really need to budget for that as well. Uh, beyond this Azure Defender services, what, what really sort of caught my eye while I was, I was preparing for delivering the training on SC200, is that here and there, it's implied that the log analytics is crucial here, especially for Azure Sentinel, but for a lot of the other capabilities as well. But nowhere in the training material is, it, is there any time spent on log analytics at all. But then on KQL, the custo query language, that is highlighted with a separate module and, and really a sort of deep dive into the different keywords and the statements and, and whatnot. Any thoughts 
Would you agree on this that log analytics and KQL are core skills for somebody working as a security operations analyst? Or do you, do you perhaps feel that you don't really need to learn KQL at all? You just copy paste whatever is already there in the samples and edit those. Uh, yes and no. Obviously, it depends, again, on a, a lot of variables. Uh, I would say if you are starting out fresh with Azure, learn KQL. If you're experienced in Azure, learn KQL. There's no reason not to do it. So like you mentioned here, log analytics playing a big part. If you use application insights, which is now the modern way of doing that, is to tie that to a workspace in log analytics. So you want to search your logs, you do that with a KQL query. You want to dive into Azure Sentinel and uh, see all the data being aggregated by all the connectors. You do that with KQL. You want to uh, dive into the Azure Resource Graph Explorer to see all the resources you have. You do that with KQL. Like this is the query language for Azure, really. So whatever you need to find inside of Azure, whether that's with the Graph Explorer and, or if it's from Sentinel or directly from Log Analytics or uh, you know from the Logs section of Application Insights, whatever, doesn't matter. Learn it. It is important to understand, but it's not important to be an expert in it because it's it's pretty straightforward to learn the basics. But I would say if you haven't, then take a look at learning the basics. Like how do you aggregate data? How do you summarize it? Can you render a, a bar chart or donut or whatever you need uh, easily? And I do this all the time as an example. And and this is not directly security or threat related, but it's it's more operation and reliability related uh, in the sense I wanted to find all the certificates on uh, web apps that we have that are about to expire. A KQL query to the Azure Graph Explorer did that in less than a second, bam. And the only reason I, I could do that was because I know how to write a KQL query and I'm talking about the basics. Get me this resource where the resource type is this, where the field properties dot expiry date is less than 90 days from today or whatever. That's it. So you don't have to be an expert. You just need to know that it's there and what you can use it for. Uh, so coming back to the question, yes, definitely learn KQL. Spend time on it. Uh, test it out. Because even if you don't test it out with security-specific things, if you don't have that set up, just go to the Azure Graph Explorer, which everyone has in their Azure portal, and just go there and make the, the simplest queries you can. You can find queries online or you can use the built-in queries. They usually have the, the sample queries as well, where they say, hey, click here to get started. And then you can list all the subscriptions you have in your management group or all the resources inside of one subscription. And then you can group them by resource group name or whatever you want. So there's a lot of stuff you can do with KQL uh, in security and outside. Take a look at it. Uh, there's no reason not to learn that. I'm, I'm sold now on the importance of KQL. There's there's a f uh, fun example of KQL in the courseware. So it goes through all the all the keywords and the basics and whatnot. Then it goes into a bit more detailed and more advanced stuff like how do you project or use inner joins and 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 so on. But then there's one example: how do you extract external data as part of your KQL? And the example is that you do a query against and a plain text uh, text file stored on Azure storage that has a list of users and presumably the passwords. 
and you're querying that text file and matching those users against something else. And I felt it was so funny in a security focused uh, training that let's use this uh, public list of users and figure out something. And that got me thinking that would I really do it like this because the, the, the syntax is, is fairly complicated at that point. Or would I rather just pull the text file out, open that in Excel and do whatever I need in Excel. So perhaps there's always different tools, but KQL is surprisingly uh, adjustable for the different needs. The, the last bit is Azure Sentinel. So Microsoft 365 Defender and Azure Defender, that's about 70% of the SC200 course and exam. And the last third or so is all things Azure Sentinel. How do you set it up? How do you connect that with data, with the data connectors? How do you do analytics? How do you do playbooks? How do you investigate incidents? How do you do the workbooks and utilize those? And, and how do you do threat hunting? We did have uh, Martin Hooch visit us. That was more than a year ago in one of the episodes. I think it was episode 24 or so. So perhaps let's not go too deep into Azure Sentinel, but I know, Tobias, that, that you're a huge fan of Azure Sentinel. Any thoughts in relation to anything in SC200? Yes, a lot, but I will keep that very short. Number one, take a look at Azure Sentinel. And if you haven't, like you mentioned, then you could listen to the episode that we did with Martin Ruth about Azure Sentinel. That was very insightful. I learned a lot. For me, the key point with Sentinel is you use the data connectors to pull data in. You get data from your firewalls, web application firewalls, from AAD, from you know all kinds of places, from um, Microsoft 365 or Office 365. Uh, so you get all the sign-in logs and audit logs and like everything connected and your diagnostic logs from different places. Everything goes under one umbrella. And... What that means is now you have a single pane of glass where you can watch most of the metrics or signals you have. Coming back to what we talked about before, where you can kind of see the signals automatically, this is a great place to do that. And here, then you have something called workbooks. And you might have seen this if you're in Application Insights, you have workbooks. If you're in a Log Analytics, you have workbooks. If you're in some other service, you might have workbooks. And that's really just a way to uh, to create a, a smart dashboard with a bunch of queries, which are, surprise, KQL queries. And these can then pull in data, and then you can visualize stuff. So I, I did a blog post a while back about how to, how to visualize uh, sensitive Key Vault operations. And I'm doing this from Azure Sentinel through one of the workbooks as well. So you can see when there are events on any of your Key Vaults that may be suspicious or using sensitive stuff or accessing something they shouldn't access or um, or in our case, it's not accessing something they shouldn't access. It's when something sensitive is being accessed, you can see how that traffic went and from where. And I, I really like that. And it's also a way to ensure that checking the traffic you have in your networks are actually the right, happening the right way. So to put that uh, final bit into an example is we have everything in all the resources we deploy for our SaaS services are deployed within virtual networks. And these virtual networks are secured with network security groups and firewalls and everything. Nothing from the outside can call in. So you cannot access any storage accounts or any SQL servers or any anything at all. So all the data and all the services are protected 
and can only be accessed by managed identity from inside of the same uh, virtual network. And then we can use Azure Sentinel with the workbooks to verify this. So we can see, okay, this vault is being accessed like this. You know, all the access is coming from this identity or from within the network, which is totally cool. If something would happen uh, where a connection is being made from the outside, for example, if someone would go and disable the firewall, in this case, number one, I would get an immediate alert, uh, a critical alert if someone disables the firewall. So nobody actually can do that, but if they could, I would get an immediate alert. Number two is we would get a signal in Azure Sentinel because that's one of the things I want to flag. And I've set up alerts for all kinds of stuff, including if anomalies happen within these services or something happens in that vault or in these types of vaults, then you can get alerts. So, I mean, the use cases for Azure Sentinel are many. This was just one tiny example. And I will put the link in the show notes to the blog post that I wrote about uh, analyzing these things using the built-in workbooks. Uh, but there are so many things for for Sentinel. But because we already covered this in both blog posts, you wrote something about Sentinel. I wrote something about Sentinel. We did this episode with Martin about Sentinel. I don't think we need to go much more into details about the capabilities there. Um, but in relation to this exam and to this training, it's definitely worth taking a look at. So if you have not worked with it or taken a look at it, just take a look how to get started. It's super easy to get it set up and then just see the data being ingested. And then you can just play around to try and understand, you know, what can you do? What can you see? What type of data is being bubbled up? How can you visualize this? And then you can very quickly understand your own use cases in your organization. And, and this is essentially how I got started. Sounds good. Uh, definitely Sentinel is a big thing here, but perhaps I, I feel Sentinel is easier to set up and sort of understand as opposed to Microsoft Defender for 365 that has so many different angles to different services at the same time. Alrighty, so hopefully you are all motivated now to go and get certified on the SC200, but beyond just getting certified, actually understanding these core, core security services and, and having them deployed and configured and to get more secure, if you will. The last thing, the unexpected question. And in my notes, I have that Toby asks Yusi, but I think it's the other way around. Would you agree? Sure. Do you want me to ask you a question? No, I can ask you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So what is a movie you could watch over and over again? Imagining no other movies exists anymore, or you have to take a year-long year-long trip to a deserted island, but you could bring your, your VHS or whatever you use to watch movies. What movie would you choose to watch over and over again? Tricky question. I have only seen a movie once most of the time. A couple of movies I've seen more than once, mostly by accident. But when I've watched a movie, I remember it. And if I rewatch it, it's no surprise. There is no excitement because I know what's going to happen, right? So I, I might be the most boring answer to this question. Uh, but I, you know, rewatching a movie is ridiculously boring uh, for me. So if I would have to pick something, what's the, what's the name of the, uh, now I forgot it, with the uh, DiCaprio when he's uh, the smart kid. Titanic. 
No. <laughs> I actually never saw the Titanic, so maybe maybe I would pick that one because I haven't seen oh, yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm I'm not spoiling the ending for you. Okay, it's something about an iceberg and and making mojitos. I think I don't. I don't exactly. Know. Uh, but he's a whiskey, DiCaprio. Yeah, and with with Robin Williams, I think. Oh, what's I'm, the name I'm, of it? I I can't recall. I, I think I've seen it. I sort of know what you mean. Perhaps somebody in the audience will let us know <laughs> once they listen to this episode. Guys, you should really know these these movies. They're classics. Okay, so so you would choose a movie with DiCaprio from from 20 years ago with Robin Williams. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, oh, it's, the name totally escapes me, but uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. And there's actually another one that I also like, um, speaking of DiCaprio, and that's, uh, well, two of them, Shutter Island and Inception. Now I'm just, okay. I know the question was about one movie, but now I've listed three. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. those are complex enough that you can yeah. kind of spin every time you watch it you could kind of spin a new story of how this could end and how this could change the, the storyline so okay makes makes sense inception was great uh shutter island i've seen it once i really didn't like it at the time perhaps that's that's one movie i have to watch again to to sort of see if i feel the same about the movie again Alrighty, this was fun. We talked about getting certified as a security operations analyst with the SC200. Thank you for joining us. Check the show notes. We'll add the resources we talked about here and talk to you next week again. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.